Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. We are here today to discuss the penultimate episode of Star Trek Picard. And I am your host, Michael Flores. And at the helm today is David Sabal. Hello, David. Hello, everybody. All right. So if you're a new listener, we do cover a wide variety of Star Trek content. And you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the Holodeck and be sure to give us reviews as well as a five-star rating. We need those. Okay, so today's episode titled Hide and Seek was directed by Michael Weaver and written by Matt Akamura and Chris Derrick. The synopsis, Picard must face the ghosts of his past when he and his crew are attacked by a new incarnation of an old enemy. Devin and Raffi face Tarati in a final showdown. So, David, this episode comes with a lot of explanations. Um, yeah, let me uh, ixnay on explanations. It comes with a lot of things that has been put on slow burn for and, most of the season. Yeah. And now it's starting to come full circle. We started at warp one. And now they, they, they increased it to like warp three. That's it, Dave? Warp factor three. That's it. Well, you, you know, you don't want to shake the ship apart, Mike. Don't shake it apart. Remember, I told you that this series was built like a house of cards. It could shake apart anytime. David, there is no ship. So what are you talking about? <laughs> the only true. ship we did have in this series just got jacked by the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was well, laughing. I was kind of giggling at that. There goes our last ship. There goes the last ship. What are they going to do now? Drive to back to the future? <laughs> yes. That's find Dr. Emmett Brown and hopefully. Uh, oh, I have a gut feeling. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. Listen, yeah. David, normally I would say shut up with your theories because you are never right. But you know what? You have been right more than I have <laughs> more than anything over the last two years. I don't know if that's a good thing either. I don't, no, David, it's not. Because <laughs> you have bad ideas. Sometimes. I have bad ideas. <laughs> Okay, so this episode was an was an effective episode, not perfect, but it did the job that needed to be done. It added to Seven's legacy in a very meaningful way. It answered questions that needed to be answered. It brought resolve to Picard's internal and emotional struggles. It brought the Borg Queen element full circle. Also, and we will dig much deeper into this in a moment, the writers seem to be sticking to the canon that was established in Discovery pertaining to time incursions. Yes. At least that's what I gathered when the Borg Queen utters those final words about Renee. Yeah. Which we'll talk about in just a moment. For the most part, this was an episode that was straightforward and relatively focused. So there's not a 
a lot to discuss or break down. Everything is pretty much overt. So we're going to take our time to go through the more relevant aspects. And we're going to stay away from the more nuanced subtext because there just really wasn't. This episode was designed not to delve into the areas of philosophy. It was solely designed to wrap up and bring things to their final positions so that the writers can effectively knock it out the park. Hopefully, hopefully with the season finale. Well, it it did what a penultimate episode basically has to do, right? Because this is the penultimate episode and in any series in any TV series, when you're dealing with the penultimate episode of any of your, the series that you're watching, you have to wrap up everything and set everything up for a season finale or, or overall finale that, is conclusive. Yeah. Because you can't leave loose ends because that shows bad writing. Yeah. And you know what, Dave, it's funny that you, you even have to say conclusive. Well, a finale means conclusive. (laughs) And you know, most people would say, yeah, that's a no brainer, obviously. But in this day and age, exactly. Of television, it isn't a no brainer. It isn't a no brainer. Apparently, you know, people in finales now with these loose narrative threads, threads that we're always waiting for them to bring back into the main, the main story. And yet it never actually happens with so many TV shows today. So you are right. And it does feel like that is what they're trying to do. And that's another reason that I feel confident with the overall finale, upcoming finale for Star Trek Picard, because the proper strategy that you would use for a penultimate episode, it was utilized. It was utilized. I mean, the thing is, is like, if we are going to compare Picard season two to season one, season one's penultimate episode was they were pulling answers out of their ass. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's where me and you have gotten the thing. Use your imagination and this little doodad will solve everything. I think Michael Shaban had just got, <laughs> got done reading uh, Peter Pan, the Lost Boys. <laughs> exactly. Hey, use your imagination. imagination. Use your imagination. Here. Play with us, Peter. <laughs> here, it's it's more it's more concrete. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's actual thought process. We could see that they, they have a game plan and they are following quote unquote storyboards to tell us a story. Well, David, I'm sure our listeners will remember last year or last season at this time, we were already having a shit fit. And the fact that <laughs> yeah. we are, we're okay with the overall season up to this point, and we're not negative about episode nine like we were. I mean, yeah. I feel I, I'm pretty sure by episode seven or eight of last season, we were pretty much scared to death. Oh, no. Seven. I was I was terrified. And then that fear led to resentment and anger <laughs> by episode nine and definitely episode 10. And definitely. By and I don't feel 10. that way at all. Now, this season isn't the, the strongest of all Star Trek seasons. No, no. It, not even close, but this is a huge improvement over last season. And before I can say that definitively, we have to wait to that finale. That's what I, that's why I've been telling people is like, do not compare this yet to season one, because we're, we have to see how they stick the landing. How, how are they going to actually close out season two? Because that's all at this point I want out of Picard. 
I don't care about the little, you know, like, well, what about this? And what about this? Don't worry about your fan wants. I just want them to fucking land the ship. Land the ship. That's it. The ship is the ship right now is shaking apart. We don't even have so, a ship to land. <laughs> exactly. Just land the ship. Make sure that I can that I can land safely and not break my neck. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we can hope for. That's all I point. can hope for at this yeah. point. And, and it's it it. This is something that I mentioned in the past episode where we were talking uh, about the last episode. They season two was had to start off on a bad foot because our bad ground because season one was so bad. Season two had to make up for mistakes of season one. And not only that, they had to establish their own season. They also had to play against the expectations because a lot of people just assumed this season was going to be more of the same, more of the same. And fortunately it was not. Yeah. And I, I understand that there's a lot of, Star Trek trolls out there that are still unhappy are still unhappy. But the the thing I would tell them is like, look at the writing. The writing is better than season one, but wait for your ultimate, you know, sledgehammer kit band hammer till you get the final product. Yeah. I want to see them stick the landing. Yeah. <laughs> now, David, let's jump into this whole Borg queen scenario here. Because it does appear that you were in, I think we can say you, you are not appear. You are I am, correct. I am stunned that this happened, Mike. <laughs> you are in fact correct with your assessment of the Borg Queen situation. Yeah. Your conjecture paid off. Dorati was able to break through and take control in the same way that the Borg Queen was growing stronger. Exactly. And that's how we ultimately were given this new hybrid Borg queen. Queen. And I thought that was an interesting aspect, the way they described the the endorphins and dopamine and how that allowed the Borg queen to essentially manipulate Jurati. But then it worked in Jurati's favor. Exactly. Because she found a way in to the the most closed off areas of this Borg queen, not the Borg as in the collective, but the individual that is the queen. the queen. She got into that mind and she used the same method to almost kickstart emotions. Yes. That she hasn't felt that the Borg queen ha- ha- hasn't felt in the- probably decades or maybe even centuries. We don't know how, how long this boar queen has been around. And by doing so, she was able to sway her intent. Gerardi appealed to the individual within the boar queen. That part was very unique and interesting. It was because it's kind of like, and it made sense how they, how they explained it is because she found a way to get through to the board queen because these are emotions and feelings the board queen is not familiar with anymore. She let go of those emotions apparently like thousands of years ago. So those don't make, those don't uh, register to her or they're just blocked off or blocked off or repressed. Yeah. That's probably the, that's probably the better way of putting it is they're repressed. And Gerardi was willing because and now this is where I basically go, that's why they needed to use Jurati instead of Seven. Yeah, because, because we had said that because your theory has always been intriguing. 
and yes, there are aspects that I feel would have worked better with seven. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's a Star Trek fan out there that wants this to be seven's fate. Yeah. Or, or even like, I don't think seven has the emotional connection to do what Gerardi did because Gerardi is highly emotional. She does. I mean, look what happened in the last season. That's what I thought was impressive about this moment was like, it took everything that we hated about Gerardi and turned it on its head and said, it's those moments, you know, killing the man that she loves, you know, seeing all her friends die, seeing the great calamity that was shown on her and how it affected her mind was able to, to basically be her weapon at this point against the Borg because the Borg don't know that those type of feelings. They don't know about regret. They don't know about guilt. Gerardi and Gerardi knows those knows that in spades. Seven doesn't. I don't think that basically if we look look at Seven as a character, she would have the same emotional she did. In Voyager, she was she also suffered from similar things, but the difference is is that the reason why Seven experienced those issues was because she had never experienced anything else. Yes. Gerardi has experienced things and she still founds her, finds herself lonely and based on what the Borg Queen told her that in every universe, she is the exact same person. She is alone. Alone. And that's probably the reason why Gerardi decided to grab this destiny of hers and run with it. Because if, exactly. Because once she was inside the Borg Queen's mind, she realized that the Borg Queen is telling the truth. Yeah. If every universe I I where I exist and I'm the exact same fucking person alone and just miserable miserable then this is the the next best thing let me find my purpose in being alone and then joining a collective exactly so and, and we've seen all this before when borg has been uh have been separated from the collective it's easier to appeal to their lost humanity we yeah. saw that in next generation with hugh we saw it in Voyager. If you remember, there was an entire planet of Borg yes. that had broken from the collective and they had eventually rediscovered the individuality. So it is there. We know that. And I'm saying humanity uh, as a bit of a catch all, because as we know, the Borg assimilate all species. OK, so the idea of appealing to that lost freedom the, yeah. the the lost individual, this is something that's not new. This is very conducive or on par with everything we know of the Borg throughout the last 30 some years of Star Trek. However, the thing that's actually really interesting and kind of, you know, gave, gave me some pluses about this episode was actually coming to the realization. They take that concept, right? The classic concept of the Borg, Mm -hmm. but in Gerardi's case, they flip the script. Here's this person that needs to be part of a collective, wants to work with people and wants to find something to answer her misery, right? Because if if in throughout all the galaxies and all the multiverses that that the Borg Queen has seen and Gerardi seems alone, now you have an individual who want doesn't want to be alone. She wants to help people. She wants to she wants to become part of the collective. Well, she realizes, right, that um that she has the ability to do something different with the Borg. Different with the Borg. That she can possibly do some good with the Borg. 
I'm interested to see what they do with the Borg moving forward because there are a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. Because if we are to believe that this is some type of causal loop, which already, Dave, I'm pretty sure that theory, the theory of mine pertaining to the paradox, I'm pretty sure that's also going to be proven true because that's exactly what we were given yes. with Gerardi. So through your theory being proven correct, I would assume that my theory has also been proven correct because the Boar Queen could not have existed as she did in episode one of this season unless all of this had already happened before or exactly. needed to happen. So I do, I do like that, but it does. We do need to finesse it a bit. We, we do, do need, need to, to flesh it. out that idea just a bit more to make sure it's clear. And that's why, that's why I double down on the thing that we need to see the finale. We need to wait till the finale happens because they did a great job telling a story like this, right? right. But now they have to connect the dots. They got to make sure that everything flows into place properly because I'll be honest, the first time when, when I saw uh, after the uh, La Sierra basically warps out. Thank you for believing. <laughs> yeah. the, the, when it warps out of there, I was like going, okay, one gigantic question was, does this change the board? Because technically the queen should not be this way <laughs> by this timeline. Yeah. Unless I think they're going to go off hiding. Yeah. Unless just like what you said, it's a causal loop. Then basically then it makes sense. But also they can't really do much. So if this is a causal loop, they can't really do much. Gerardi and the Borg have to queen go. will have to go off to a very distant part of the universe and I mean they'd kind of remain in hiding because anything they do could change the course of history. They can't interfere with the other version of the Borg Queen. Yes. You need these things to happen. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get into that. I don't I honestly David don't see us getting into the nitty gritty of those types of things. However, I, I can only imagine that they would have to flesh out the idea of this paradox in order to fully explain how it's even possible that the Boar Queen was already seen in episode one. All right. And now can I bring up my craziest theory now, Mike? What does it have to do with? It first? has to deal with the Borg. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Now we know that basically Gerardi goes out well, look to at the your Delta face, All full of confidence. <laughs> I am thinking, I am thinking season three, Season three, all right, is going to be about the War of the Borg. Hmm. You're going to have one side that basically is the classic Borg versus Gerardi's Borg. You mean what we should have gotten with Hugh? But yes. They killed him off for they no, killed him with, no, no reason. But besides that, let's forgive that. <laughs> okay, well, hold on. Before you continue, David, you realize that this is second. This is another fix. From season one, because what we got with Gerardi and the Borg Queen <laughs> is essentially what we've had with Q for how many years? Yes. Q was that individual Borg that was able to break free and create his own collective. Yes. And then we remember there was that giant war between like Borg. Yeah. That involved the Sons of Soong. The son of, Sons of Soong War. Yeah. But that's why I'm thinking because the one thing that is still in my brain, Mike, is the very beginning in episode one. What is Gerardi, what is Gerardi saying 
because obviously we know it's Gerardi giving that message to call Picard, right? What does she say? Picard, save us. I don't remember what she said. I just thought she they wanted to join the... No, the message was save us. Hmm. So automatically I'm like thinking the whole reason why they're saying save us is because they're in the middle of a, of a civil, quote unquote, civil war with the other Borg. Hmm. You have... Gerardi's new hybrid Borg that basically is more or less more peaceful, maybe trying to make a better world. And then we have resistance is futile. And that's yeah. what season three is going to be about. That's why okay. the entire crew gets called back in. We'll probably get the enterprise back. Will data be brought back to life? I will. Cr- I will be angry. If that- <laughs> I, will be a- I will be angry yeah. if that happens. But something tells me that basically, the data will come back. Okay, so this theory, David, is not ridiculous. It's it's actually feasible, and I would probably agree with that. <laughs> I'd have to see how the, the season finale unfolds exactly before I confirm whether or not I do agree with you, but I can definitely see that happening. Because why would you call the entire crew back into service unless it's some utterly galactic problem that just happened? It's called desperation on the part of the producers, and they're (laughs) hoping that by bringing the entire TNG crew back for season three, that finally they will be able to break 50% on the audience side of Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Because <laughs> right now audiences are just fucking shitting. Oh, all they're over shitting Picard. all over Picard. Yeah. And that's why I tell people is like, be patient. Just be patient. I I don't agree with the scores. No, I, I believe this season has a 37% rating amongst fans. Yes. Come on. Yeah. That, and what's that the is rating on season objective. What's it's the like rating 56, on season one? 57. Screw that. Yeah. That is not. If anything, I would even give season one a 50%. I would give it maybe a 60%. And then this season, again, it depends on how it ends. is probably somewhere between a 77 and an 87. Uh, I go, I go seventies. I go seventies for it. David, listen, David, you can't you can't change your your ratings because yes, so because far, David, your ratings. ratings do not agree with that thought. That's what I'm thinking. That, that that that's why I'm trying to be positive, trying to be positive, but it's really difficult. And that's it's why, not, as I said, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard when you are very passionate about something, as we are with Star Trek, and same thing with the other listeners that that feel so angry and they feel the need to give the show a 37 percent yeah on Rotten Tomatoes. I understand the passions involved. I mean, many of us have grown up with this, but we also need to quit being so subjective and look at things a little more objectively, which is what I try to do every single discussion we do. All right. So David, at the end of the day, getting back to the board queen stuff, emotions wins the day, the human condition defeats the callous Borg efficiency. efficiency. And I thought that was very fitting because human existence and the what and how we experience existence is what defeated the Borg queen. Gerardi was able to dig deep into the Borg queen's own dark places. And within her mind, uh, she found that she's similar to her. And that is why just to sum up this entire part, I really liked the Gerardi and Borg stuff because it wasn't about a knockdown drag out 
phaser fight with the Borg Queen. This was more nuanced. This was psychological. This yes. was using the idea of of Gene Roddenberry's, which, believe it or not, isn't only ju- isn't just about optimism. People think that the moment you get into darker areas, they have thrown out optimism, and this is going against everything Gene Roddenberry had wanted. But also, Gene Roddenberry was about exploring the human condition and how the best of us will use the the, the foundations of the human condition to win the day which ultimately does what leads to optimism yeah so i like that part and also david gerardi's decision to stay assimilated was built on the legacy of seven of nine oh yeah and that's why this episode stands above the rest of the season so far including all of season one seven has finally been recognized as the legacy character. She is. Yes. The fact that Gerardi's explanation to the Borg queen was let's be like seven, like seven, seven used her Borg half. She said to serve the best of humanity. Let's build a universe of seven of sevens. And when she said that, I, almost applauded. I got happy because it took almost two full seasons for them to finally acknowledge who seven really is and to actually build on the seven of nine that we had in Star Trek Voyager, because up to this point, and there are moments throughout season two that does feel more consistent with the seven from Voyager, whereas season one was not. But the fact that they were able to fully continue Seven's story in a meaningful way from Voyager, not even from the the bullshit first season of Picard, but continuing her characterization and her journey as a human being from Voyager into the second season of Picard is exactly what we've been needing since the moment she was introduced into Picard. And think about the 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 biggest moment for me in the seven storyline at this point was a simple dialogue, a simple one dialogue between her and Raffi, where she talks about the fact that Janeway went to bat for her, but the Federation said no. And it makes sense. And here's the thing. A lot of a lot of fans might say the Federation would never turn her down. Are you kidding me? She's Borg. She's Borg. They're just coming off of a war that nearly annihilated them because of the Borg. Yeah. You, you, you think that basically, oh, oh, yeah, sure. Whatever Janeway says that basically she's different. Well, let's, let's place <laughs> this into the context of our own reality so that people can understand why that exactly. does make sense. Imagine you just had a Russian soldier who defected from Russia and wanted to join the United States and everything that he has done up to that point shows that he is a genuine defector, that he believes in the American way of life and he wants to shun everything that Russia stands for. That doesn't mean they're going to welcome him in to the, the, the very, um, confines of the CIA and the FBI. I'm like, yeah, come on in, buddy. We're going to join the CIA. Exactly. Join the CIA. They're not going to do that. It's too much risk involved. So that's why when you look, look at this from a more 
realistic perspective, it absolutely does make sense. And mm-hmm. that part, when you bring back a character that we haven't seen in over 20 years and you don't explain where she's been, why, why she's not a part of Starfleet, why is she not with the rest of the crew in some way? What's her connection to anything we don't know any of that. That was not, they just completely ignored all of the vital information that we need when you bring back a legacy character like seven and in a 30 second sequence. Yes. We got the answer that we should have gotten last year. The Federation just didn't trust bringing a Borg into Starfleet. And that's, that's, that's more than we need, right? I mean, that's perfect. That's we, perfect. Some, how many times have I said in discussions that we don't need a 60-minute episode to explain certain things? Exactly. Sometimes we just need 30 seconds here, a minute here, and that does the trick. Exactly. Because, like, we all understand that scenario. And the thing that they capped it off with was when Seven basically tells Rafi, Janeway threatened to resign from Federation. And we're, like, going... As a, as a Voyager fan, we're like, yeah, we can imagine Janeway absolutely looking at the council and saying, I am going to resign. Seven was her protege. Of course she would say that. She, she would say that. And in actuality, all of the Voyager crew would probably back Seven and say, no, we're not part of Starfleet anymore if you're not going to accept one of our family into this. And it goes even further explaining why Seven might be the way she is because she carries that guilt that, oh, all these people sacrifice themselves for her. I mean, think about that, Mike. Think about that. We were wondering why Seven had the personality of what we were calling, uh, what was it, a Sarah Connor? That, that, that she was like bitter. She was angry at the universe and everything else. She would be bitter if, like, if your family that you traveled through quadrants, you know, like years across the galaxy, and they get to their finish point or the the thing that they've all been working to get to, and suddenly it doesn't turn out the way they want for her, and they all say, no, we don't want to be part of you then, and they give up everything because of Seven, that's a lot for that character to carry. Because that, I I think a normal person would feel guilty, absolutely yeah. about that. Because they'd be like, going, "Don't don't try to sacrifice yourselves for me." It makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense, and it works. And especially how, especially how uh, uh, the line was delivered by Seven, you could tell that she was angry when she said, or she was angry and she was a little sad when she said, Janeway threatened to resign. But all of this makes sense. That last bit about the whole Janeway thing and, and the Voyager and not being able to join Starfleet. It did feel like we were working towards that. As I had said all season, this version of Seven is more consistent with Seven from Voyager. Mm-hmm. We saw someone who is a little more diplomatic this season, a, le- a little less emotionally invested Uh, She is more the seven that we saw in Voyager. Someone that does have issues of emotion. She can't always keep them in check. And the fact that we see someone who's a lot more mature, but still consistent with what we know, I had a feeling they were working in this direction. When Rafi said, you could be a captain of your own ship. I said, this is the entire point. 
This is why we're getting the seven from Voyager, a character who has a history with Starfleet, a character who does have command abilities, a character that probably would be a better captain than Raffi and Rios combined. Oh, easily. And, and David, does this mean that once Picard is wrapped, are we going to get a series with seven to nine as, <laughs> as captain? captain? I don't know. I, I don't think it, I, from the sound of how that story was, how seven's legacy with the Federation goes, I think at the most we would probably see a series centered around seven as a ranger because uh, no one wants that Dave. And that's the thing we want Starfleet. We we would want Starfleet, but in all honesty, if Federation like rebukes seven, mm-hmm. It would be one thing if they if they if it was like an argument that everyone agrees is bad, but when you when you take a step back like what we did objectively, yeah, we understand why the Federation can't take seven in because essentially there's that threat of seven possibly turning and yeah. basically you know having the Borg elements come back into play and ruin the federation yeah but now we have the fact that okay if we go back to the paradox aspect yes the very history of starfleet and the federation in essence belongs or i should say their the fate of Starfleet and the Federation and the history that everyone in this world knows of is because of not just Picard, but seven, but seven on the board, Rafi, Rios, Gerardi. So you're going to not allow someone to be a part of a thing, an organization that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for her actions. Because if this series ends up being the, what I've been saying all season that in order to have the future that we have all been privy to for the past 50 years, Starfleet, the Federation, the enlightenment of humanity, then all of this that we're watching right now had to happen. So how can you turn away someone who secured your very future, your very existence? Yes, not even your future, your very existence. Your very existence. Yeah. That that is a very good question, and it's. I think in in a series it could be really compelling storylines, but again, we're assume we're, we're assuming that you know in the right writing hands they can do this, Mike. Listen, it can be done. It can be done. I'm not listen. I'm not one of those fans that thinks everything should be a spinoff, but if down the road we get another series that takes place in the, what, the 23rd century, 24th century, then why not have, it doesn't need to be just seven of nine. I mean, we can have a Star Trek series that's more like Deep Space Nine where it wasn't just exclusive to a space station. It included yes. Romulans and Klingons and Dominions and it dealt with and Cardassians. Aspects. Yeah, so if they were to do a series like that where you have numerous starships, Gerardi, Rios, Rafi, and then whatever villains and new characters they want to introduce, that would also work as well. Yeah. Okay, so we do need to move on. Gerardi hiding a code. In the emergency combat hologram. <laughs> now, okay. I, David, and you, and I'm only going to say this 
right now before I get into this because I want to make sure everyone knows that I am by no means a Star Trek technological guru. Yes. Okay. I am an, a rabid Star Trek fan that remembers probably 90% of what I've watched over the years. Yes. And when it comes to story, ask me a question and I'll probably be able to answer. I know all the ins and outs, the nuances of the world of Star Trek, but one thing that I've never really clinged to is all the techno babble. So I don't know exactly how everything works, but I'm pretty sure that a hologram is made of light <laughs> and yes. it doesn't need to run. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, you're, you're light not cannot wrong. be injured. With gunfire, a punch. No, that's why. And it definitely can't be assimilated. Light cannot be assimilated. That would be, phys- that would be, I think, pretty impossible. In fact, let's say in the world of Star Trek, you can assimilate light, let's just say. But you can't because it's already been established <laughs> in Star Trek First Contact when the actor that played Neelix was a guest star in the holodeck when Picard tried to escape from the Borg. Oh, not Neelix. It was the doctor. Was it the doctor? Yeah, it was the doctor. Remember the doctor, uh, Robert Picardo. It was both of them in that. Yeah, basically they oh, tried that's to. Right. And the Borg tried to assimilate, assimilate the and doctor, And the doctor was like, going, yeah. ah, yes, okay. it might cause rashes. <laughs> so point is proven. You can't assimilate light. No. Now, as a Boar Queen who's in control of the entire <laughs> ship. <laughs> yes. Again, I'm not sure how holograms are stored, but I'm pretty sure there's a hollow matrix. Yes. And technically, if she wanted that information, she could have accessed rather than chasing light, she could have assimilated. The hollow matrix, matrix itself. Itself, because the hollow matrix is within the ship, and she had control of the ship. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So <laughs> that part did irk me a bit. It didn't destroy the story. It and did lucky destroy. for them, David, if this was a 60 percenter, if this was last season, we would have spent an hour mocking them. Yes. Yes. Because absolutely. what do we always say? A uh, cut by a thousand. Wait, no. What was the what's the wording? Death by a thousand Death cuts. by a thousand cuts. Fortunately for the writers this season, we're not at that point. We're not at that point. So yet. that's why I'm just briefly mocking it. And then yes. we're going to move on because like, because it was silly. It was silly. The only reason, the only reason why I thought bringing in a holographic Elnor and having it being chased around the ship <laughs> was, was, was okay with me was because I like the character I of Elnor. Understood. So, yeah. You know, bringing him in kind of brought a smile to my face. So I turned off I my, I my logical. My face too. I had I turned off my logical brain. I said, you know, just make this count. And sure enough, I liked the fact that they brought in the holographic Elnor because, like, you also had that moment for Raffi, which I thought was pretty powerful. I liked that. I liked the fact that, you know, Raffi sees him, acknowledges that that's not really him, but she needs to say this because it's something in her it, within her that is tied to her grief. And I can relate to that because like w- going through grief, you, you just want to say it. You don't care if that person's there. You just need to say something. And that moment was actually pretty damn cool because like El- Elnor basically turning it around and basically saying, I, I am 
basically all of the collective thoughts up to the point when uh, that Elnor died. And I could tell you this is what I was feeling as I was dying. And that was really cool because that made sense. Yeah, and also it brings a little bit, I don't want to say closure, but it does give us needed development for Raffi. Yeah. Because Raffi didn't really have a lot of development. No, she year. didn't. Not this year. But by using that Eleanor aspect, it was able in in a way that didn't need a lot of exposition. If you watched last season, you understand that she's estranged from her son. Yes. So Eleanor has been a bit of a substitute for that. Yeah. So in the ways of character development, despite the fact that, you know, yes, I was mocking the chasing of light. It, it, <laughs> it does that it aspect. Is, it was, it was well needed. Yes. It, it did work for story reasons. And that's why I'm giving him a pass yeah. on that little bit there. That little bit there. Yeah. Because it, it, it served dual purposes. Yeah. Okay, so we do get our last bit on Picard's mom. And this part wasn't really a reveal. We pretty much already yeah. gathered this information, but Picard's mom did, in fact, kill herself. That was the entire thing. That young Picard, young Sean Luke, is the it. one who, who found his found, mom found hanging. It. That's right. And that is awful. And I... I will say that we were kind of saying, well, this is the whole thing, the entire season, the mystery, the emotional issues pertaining to Picard's intimacy issues was all, all had to do with his mom's depression. I didn't really. And then when I, you get to the punch, yeah, line, when you realize that he's the one who found her yes. dead, I mean, that's enough to justify Picard's the intimacy issues. Yeah. I mean, uh, I loved it. I didn't love seeing her hanging. That's no, awful. No. But I do it for when it comes to character development and what it means for the character of Picard. And that's it. That's a good direction to go because it's something that's never been fully fleshed out ever. But correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. Didn't we see his mother as an older woman in TNG? <laughs> uh, don't quote me. I could have sworn have it. To yes. Come back. During our next discussion when I have a chance to look it up. But it just hit me now. Throughout this whole time, I've been screaming at the TV. Where the frick is his brother through all this? You only oh. see his 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 dad, his mom, and Picard. And I, I was like okay. going, the writers can't forget about Robert because... He played an important role in TNG. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that. We have not seen the brother at all. The brother at all. So, so you think it's a second marriage? I think it's a second marriage. At this point, I was like going, maybe his father remarried. Because if you think about it, his father loved his mother so much, but they she died when they, they were relatively young. So it would probably be acceptable for his father to try to move on. Yeah, I especially need to go back after and that, watch that episode. Especially when you take take that moment of P P Picard's, his trauma is terrible as a child. Mm -hmm. But the thing I like about it is Picard's actually, uh, the, the writers also focus on the fact that the wear it took on his dad. Picard might have saw him as a monster, but then remember, Picard realized his dad was actually doing his best to try to protect his yeah. wife. Yeah. And it was taking a toll on him. 
So yeah, what after that after that she dies, it would make sense that his father had to move on. His father had mm-hmm. to get over that. Yeah. So no, what I, would happen? He get remarried, and that's where you have Robert come in, yeah. probably like you know from the from his stepmother. Well, if that's the case, Dave, I feel like sometime during the finale that has to be addressed in another flashback if that is the case. And I'll have to go back and see if in fact that was his mother in the TNG episode. Yeah. And that's why I said is like we can't I'm not going to I'm not going to blast this until the very wait. end. We have to wait. It's yeah. one of those stories this season where you have to see the full picture before you start. Because it's the one thing that's always out. always bugged me about this is Picard's been talking about just his issues with his mom and his dad. But I'm like, like, dude, what about your brother? You had issues with your brother a lot. Yeah. <laughs> in TNG. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get to that. So, David, the last bit here. And this may, in fact, align a few dots or at least connect dots and align some story elements that we have been talking about all season. That last the last few words that Gerardi had said to the crew before she left to succeed. There will be two Renee's one who lives and one who dies. Now that sounds like a bit of a riddle, but I have a feeling it's a lot more straightforward. Yeah. It's a lot of foreshadowing. If you remember in Star Trek Discovery Season 3, they did something that was needed. They finally explained how the lit timelines, mirror universes, alternate realities, how it all works in the world of Star Trek. And they needed to do that. It's one of my biggest complaints with Star Trek. They never really explain what the mirror universe is. And we find out in Discovery that's essentially just another alternate reality and same thing with split timelines. They've always used different words for the exact same thing. And in Discovery, they fully explain and flesh that idea out that essentially the mirror universe as well as the Kelvin timeline, which is the J.J. Abrams reboot Star Trek franchise, is also simply an alternate reality. So when you have a time incursion, what happens is you have a new reality that forms. That is how the guardian of forever explained the many alternate timelines. Yes. He through his explanation, it explained how all of it works in the world of star Trek. And he also said that you cannot change the past the past. You cannot change the timeline. All you do is create an incursion, thereby creating a split. Yes. Thereby creating another alternate reality. Reality. So that being said, if you want to align with what you established last season in Discovery, technically, you're not really fixing the timeline. What you're doing is creating another split that will eventually form into the reality that you're familiar with. Yes. And then the soon reality 
where he is the God of, of Earth's people, that people love him, the, the universe that Q essentially created, that universe will continue. Yes. So when she says two Renees will exist, one who lives and one who dies, that's because they cannot fix a timeline, a timeline. without creating a split. So what you're going to do is create the split. That's going to be how one version Renee survives. And then we'll have the doom and gloom timeline that Q created where Renee dies. Did you get that as well? I, I did. I did think about that when they said that is like, they're trying to explain the split timeline. And I hope, I hope it's, that I don't want it to be this weird riddle that they have to figure well how does one Renee survive and one Renee die oh I get we we have to do this special thing no if listen we're dealing with the exact same producers from Discovery and Picard they're the same producers and if they don't acknowledge the very thing that they themselves set up sometimes we give them a pass when you're dealing with something from the Rick Berman eras from like 40 years ago then I understand where they might want to play you know take some creative liberties I'm not always a fan of that but I feel like there's more wiggle room there but when you're dealing with something that was introduced a year and a half ago and you don't abide by it in another show that's dealing with time travel then you just fucking suck and you shouldn't be allowed to run a franchise. The thing that I'm trying to figure out is Renee, we know apparently the special thing that she does in history is she finds microbes microbes in uh, that prove that alien life exists, right? Actually, we don't know. We don't know what she finds. They haven't said it. They just said microbes. We don't know exactly what that means. In fact, that's why it was so weird when they mentioned when Gerardi, the Borg queen mentioned in the last episode to Dr. Soong that if Renee finds what she discover, if she, if she's allowed to discover what she finds on her mission, your work will be meaningless. We still don't quite know what she finds. Other okay. We heard microbes, but how do microbes completely alter the history of mankind? Or I should say, yeah, of, of humankind, yeah. So we will see, David, but I'm hoping it does, in fact, lead to, to a split timeline type of argument. Yeah. Or it could be more conducive with the time loop paradox that Renee will live, but then at some point she will also die. She I, will I, also die? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. That it, I will say that has me intrigued. Okay, David, Rios this is our last part here. I thought we were done, but uh, <laughs> Rios has been separated from the group again because he was wounded. <laughs> okay. All right. Mike, can, can, can we, can we kill this one? David, hold can on. We kill this no, 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 hold on. If this was last season, yes, it would be death by a thousand cuts. Death and by- we'd probably spend 40 minutes on this. Yes. Because Rios apparently can't fight. When he gets a scratch, scratch, <laughs> he can't fight, but he can flirt still. He can flirt with hottie McGee, but he can't fight. He's just going to get himself killed. Oh, no, no, no. How don't forget. Many- don't forget. He can actually, he can actually somehow hijack the, the technology while he's apparently too wounded to fight. Yeah. 
And I, I don't I don't know, David. Rios' story has been such a disappointment this season because it hasn't been a story. No, it's been it, it's been nonsensical, Mike. It, it's nonsensical. It's silly. It serves nothing. And, and they continue to find re- and if they if we didn't get what we got from seven this episode, I by the end of next episode, I probably would say the same thing about seven and Raffi's story. It's just a meandering mess. But meandering fortunately, mess. they brought it all together in this episode. Rios, we still need that moment. We need that <laughs> moment to bring all of the meandering, nonsensical issues. But Mike, she doesn't want want him to leave. She she wants to go into the future with him. <laughs> just, I'd be like, listen. <laughs> fucking go take care of your son, okay? And, and, and oh, and her son wants a new dad. Yeah. She wants a new I, dad. I ain't I, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> if you were Rios, you'd be like, I'm out. Beep. <laughs> yeah, later. later. How about I make a a uh, emergency stepdad hologram program. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like, it cra- I was like going, man, why, how is it that basically they, they've been being shot at by the Borg and, you know, the forces of uh Sung and they're this, they're this fight and he gets one scratch, Mike. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Oh my God. My, this this flesh wound, <laughs> this flesh wound's gonna gonna be the end of me. I'm out of here. Yeah, and everyone everyone, it's not just Rios. Everyone treats it like it's a death wound. Mm-hmm. It's strange. <laughs> it's, it's, but, and the reason why it's strange is because from a we're looking at this not from necessarily a story standpoint. We're looking this. We're looking at this from a strategic standpoint. Yes, and there is no strategy. There's no strategy. It's simply, they don't know what to do with this character, so they're moving them back and forth like a shell game all season. Yes, and like instead of clearing it up by the end, they make it more complicated because the the person that Rios. And, and I don't get Rios's logic here. I'm gonna bring this lady and show her. All the stuff, sure, the ship, mm-hmm. sure, the technology. And I'm just going to expect her to stay in the past. Yeah. And it, and I love the fact that the girl turns it around. So you mean to tell me you're going to show me all these great things and you expect me not to want to actually go to the future? <laughs> if her character doesn't turn out to be something relevant in the history of Star Trek. I'll be so angry. (laughs) I will probably mark the finale down. No matter how great the story ends up being and all the theories we've had end up proving correct. If the story, if Rios' story this season doesn't actually matter when it comes to the bigger picture, it'll be marked down quite a bit. All right, Dave. So this does bring us to our final thoughts. Keep it brief because we're already pushing our time limit and under 30 seconds, final thoughts, as well as your RMD score. Go uh, ahead. Starting with my score, the score on this one is a 78 okay. uh, that I have here on my notes. Yep. 78. Uh, overall, it did what a penultimate episode needed to do. I cannot argue with that. It wrapped up a lot of the stuff and got everything set for our finale. You don't have a lot of, loose ends at the end of this. I mean, the only one that's a loose end is the Rio stuff. Uh, this is a minor nitpick for me just on a technical side of the, of the show, the lighting in the very beginning 
bothered me. I don't know if it bothered you. I was like going, I don't remember the beginning. What was it? The beginning basically was all the stuff that had to deal with the chateau where everything's too dark. Hmm. Like to me, I, I, maybe it's my eyes or anything, but I, I just felt the lighting took away from what was going on because there were points when I was actually confused. What just happened? I have to rewind it because it's so freaking dark. Did someone get shot? <laughs> I don't yeah. know what happened. So that's that's also technically why I brought my score down. Okay. But overall, I thought it was a good episode. I thought that basically we got to where we needed to go. So here we go with the f- finale, and I want them to stick the landing. Yeah. Everybody cross your fingers. Cross please. your fingers. Yeah. Okay, David. So I'm not too far away from you this week. I'm going to give the episode an 80% on the RMD score. It would have scored higher if the Rio stuff was a little more thought out. Yes. That's the only part that basically did not make sense. Probably would have been boosted by about 5%, which would have put the episode critically at an 85% score. And if you had not had the Borg try to assimilate light, (laughs) I would probably give this another 5%. Another 5%. So it would have been a 90% episode, but those two things... You know, it's not great. Not great. You got to have some logic when you're writing. And if you are trying to do something that can be explained within the, the, the context of Star Trek technology, then you need to try to explain that so that people don't think the Borg is chasing light. Yes. All right. This brings us to the end of our discussion. We will be back for the season finale as well as the premiere of Strange New Worlds. All next week be sure to find us on patreon patreon.com slash rainman digital if you pledge five dollars or more a month you'll gain access to all of our behind the scenes tiers which will essentially give you access to our free shows that we do before every single discussion we get into star trek news uh, some thoughts pertaining to different areas of star trek that we just don't have time to get into during our regular discussions and also you get bonus Full podcast discussions every single month. Well, patreon.com slash Rayman Digital. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.